Chapter 14 Still More Characteristics of Hotels Jesus said, My Father's house has many rooms. John 14.2, New International Version Those many rooms have different purposes, and the church of today has unwisely changed the design and layout of many of them. In this chapter, we will present some of the more serious changes that have been made in God's design for His dwelling place. Some of these changes even bring death to many of God's people. Before we see the next change, we need to understand that the Bible gives a number of different names to the church. Biblical Names of the Church In both the Old and New Testaments, Jerusalem or Zion, the same city, are symbolic of something wonderful and eternal. The New Testament defines what their symbolism refers to in Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, New King James Version. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. So Zion or Jerusalem refer to the church, and Jesus is the firstborn, Romans 8.29 and Colossians 1.15. It is important to note that the name Israel also refers to God's people in both the Old and New Testaments. By reading Ephesians 2.11-19 in the New International Version of the Bible, we discover some amazing revelations. The Apostle Paul tells the Gentiles that in times past, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Are the Gentiles who believe in Christ still without hope and without God? Obviously they are not. But what about the other things Paul said they previously lacked? He goes on to explain that the cross resolved all of the separations between Jew and Gentile and that the Lord made of the two peoples one body and one new humanity, as Ephesians 2, 15 and 16, New International Version tells us. Just before Paul's explanation of what the cross did in the above passage, in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, he tells us that the body is the church. Since the cross resolved all the differences between Jew and Gentile, we should ask, are the Gentile believers still excluded from citizenship in Israel? Paul answers that question in Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. So then, both Jew and Gentile are part of one body, the church. This is why in Revelation 21, the Bride of Christ, the New Jerusalem, has twelve gates with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel written upon them. If we are not citizens of Israel, how will we be allowed to enter through those gates that are specified for Israel? Paul refers to the Israel of God in Galatians 6.16. Paul made it abundantly clear that Gentile believers are part of that holy nation. He told the Gentile believers in Rome that they had been grafted into Israel. Romans 11, 17 and 18. As we have seen, the Old Testament also reveals what Zion refers to. For example, in Psalms 132, 13 and 14, the Lord reveals His love for Zion. 
For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever, here will I dwell, for I have desired it. We know from many scriptures that the church is God's eternal dwelling place, and that he is conforming the church to the pattern of the tabernacle of David. So this passage also confirms that Zion refers to the church, as the above passage from Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 reveals. Many times, the Old Testament prophets speak about Zion, revealing both its condition and its future hope of glory. The prophet Amos gives us many amazing truths and also warnings. The message of all the prophets was given for four different periods in history. First, their messages were for their own people, who were living in their day. Second, their messages can be applied to the people living in every generation. Third, they reveal details of the first coming of Christ. Fourth, they reveal details of the second coming of Christ. The prophet Amos has a message for us. Amos also gave a very powerful message that deals with three themes, the last days, the Lord's second coming, and the church. How do we know? In the first two verses we read, The words of Amos, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. So from the very beginning of his message, Amos is talking about Zion in Jerusalem, the church. Most students of the Bible know that the Bible is one book that came from one divine author, the Lord, and it uses the same terminology and symbolism throughout. Zion and Jerusalem are an example of this fact. As we have seen, they represent the church in both the Old and New Testaments. Why does Amos mention the earthquake that occurred in the days of King Uzziah? The significance of that earthquake is explained for us in Zechariah 14. A reading of the entire chapter leaves no doubt that it is a clear revelation of the second coming of Christ. In the first three verses, Jerusalem falls during the attack of the nations, and the Lord comes to defend his people. In verse 4, the following statement reveals what happens at the moment of his coming. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. The next verse gives us understanding about the significance of the earthquake in the days of Uzziah. It tells us, Ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Here, the Bible obviously compares the earthquake of Uzziah's day with the earthquake of the second coming. Now we can understand the timing of the message of Amos. It is a message for the last days, just before the coming of Christ. Actually, there are other passages in Amos that link his message to the last days. Amos 9, 11-15 is one of them and contains promises that have not yet been fulfilled including the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David in the last days. It is a wonderful end-time message. Therefore, Amos begins his message by pointing to the last days, and he ends it by doing the same. 
The first two verses of Amos tell us that God was giving this message to his people, whom he refers to by using three names, Israel, Jerusalem, and Zion. Amos received this message for God's people, who were living two years before the earthquake that Zechariah 14 links to the earthquake of the second coming. Therefore, we can be certain that his message is also for God's people who will be living just before the second coming of the Lord. Undoubtedly, we are that people. An amazing detail about Amos is that he uses ten different names that the Bible uses for local churches. It is almost an exhaustive list. They are 1. The Habitations of the Shepherds, Amos 1-2 2. The Palaces of Jerusalem, Amos 2-5 3. House, Amos 5-3, Hebrews 3-6 4. Cities, Amos 4-8-5-3 5. Vineyards, Amos 4-9 6. Assemblies, Amos 5-21 7. Sanctuaries, Amos 7-9 8. Temple, Amos 8-3 9. Altar, Amos 3-14, 9-1 10. Gardens, Amos 4-9 914. They invent instruments of music. The book of Acts reveals a vital truth regarding all the prophets in the last days, declaring that they all have a message for the last days. Speaking about Jesus Christ, Acts 3.21 confirms this important key, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Regardless of what we believe this verse is saying, one thing is certain. Jesus Christ will remain in heaven until at least some aspects of the messages of all the prophets are fulfilled. The conclusion is very evident. All the prophets have messages that involve the last days. We have also seen that the message of Amos involves the church in the last days, and more specifically, the local churches. Furthermore, we have seen that in both the Old and New Testaments, Zion refers to the church universal, God's eternal dwelling place. In light of these facts, Amos 6.1 is an awesome reproach for the church in these last days. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Here the Lord is speaking about leaders in the church to whom God's people come. They are at ease. They have more than enough finances, power, and position, and they are troubled by nothing. They trust in the mountain of Samaria, a symbol of the way of the flesh, rather than trusting in the Lord. Through the prophet, the Lord continues to reproach the church leaders. In Amos 6.3, he declares, Ye that put far away the evil day, and cause the seat of violence to come near. Many spiritual leaders of today assure their followers that God will rescue them out of the evil days that are just ahead. This might be one reason that millions of Christians do not fulfill their civic duty to vote in the civil elections of their countries. Those who vote help choose the leaders of their country. Paul exhorts us to pray for our leaders, 
but some believers do not have enough concern for their leaders to even help decide who they will be. According to some estimates, 40 million Christians in the U.S. do not even vote. If they did, that voting block alone would be enough to choose almost every leader in the country. Amos 6.3 also reproaches the leaders for causing the seat of violence to draw near. This is not the seat of the Lord, but rather the seat of Satan, referred to in Revelation 2.13. Amos then shows how they accomplished such a horrible thing. Amos 6.4 reveals how they are living, that lie upon beds of ivory, and stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs out of the flock, and the calves out of the midst of the stall. They are living in extreme luxury and making it obvious through their pride by having very costly beds of ivory. They are stretching out on couches. This sounds like much idleness, and of course they have the best possible food, lambs and calves. These were the main factors that caused Sodom to choose the way of Satan. As Ezekiel 16.49 reveals, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. For the purposes of this book, we want to consider carefully the next rebuke of Amos, something else that church leaders are doing who are living before the coming of the Lord. Knowingly or unknowingly, they cause the presence of Satan to draw near through their music. Amos 6.5 explains that they chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. One very serious part of this rebuke is that they invent instruments of music as David did. The enormous difference is that the instruments that David invented came from God. 1 Chronicles 16.42 and by the context of this verse, we can be sure that the modern inventions did not. Instruments of God and the Invented Ones In the church today, what possible instruments have been invented for church worship by modern leaders? In Psalms 150, we find three main types of instruments that are God's instruments. There are wind instruments, stringed instruments, and percussion instruments. It is important to note that the Bible never mentions drums. Some have concluded that the word timbrel is really a drum. However, Exodus 15.20 confirms that it is precisely the instrument that the Hebrew word signifies, a tambourine. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. Obviously, Miriam and the women did not go out with drums in their hands. A tambourine consists of a small wooden frame with pairs of small pieces of metal attached around the frame. Those pieces of metal produce the sound of a tambourine when it is struck against a person's hand. Sometimes the frame is covered with a skin, but the skin is not necessary and it does not produce any sound. It is used only to make the tambourine more comfortable when it strikes the person's hand, instead of striking the frame against the hand. This design definitely does not change a tambourine into a drum. Some at this point may feel that I am just down on drums, and that this is a matter of my personal preferences rather than being based on the Bible. 
I only ask that those who have hungry hearts be willing to hear the whole matter before reaching a premature conclusion. Satan often reveals his evil plan, but we don't hear. When Satan tempted Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, he revealed what would happen if she did. He said, You will know the difference between good and evil. Evil is a Hebrew word that is translated many ways in the King James Version Bible. Besides evil, it also means affliction and trouble. Eve already knew what good was. She was living it. But she had no point of reference to know what evil, affliction, or trouble would be like. Humanity now knows. Satan has done much the same with the drum set, which is also called a trap set. It is actually made of several instruments. One is called the snare drum, and another is a drum called a trap. There are also cymbals and other percussion instruments involved. The snare drum is one of the central parts of a drum set. It is amazing that the drum set is called a trap set and includes a snare drum and a trap drum. It sounds like Satan is openly revealing what happens to people who choose the music of a drum set. Traps and snares await them. We will see just how true this is in the next chapters. Today, many churches are using what is called a drum set or a drum kit to accompany their praise. Three questions that we should ask ourselves are, 1. When was the drum set invented? 2. When were the other instruments invented that are used in churches today? 3. When did churches begin to incorporate drum sets into their meetings? When was the drum set invented? Individual drums have been around for a long time. Some were found in Chinese excavations that date back thousands of years. An amazing and often ignored known fact is that drums were primarily used in religious and celebratory ceremonies, as they are today as well. However, in the 1930s, people started putting different types of drums together so that they could be played at the same time by one person. The drumstick in its present form was finally invented in 1963 by a member of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Between the 1930s and 1963, the drum set was enlarged somewhat from its original form. Therefore, we can conclude that the complete drum set in its present form was invented between the 1930s and the early 1960s. When were the other instruments invented? None of our musical instruments today are precisely like the instruments found in Psalms 150. But the issue is not the design, but rather the sound that those instruments produced and the effect that they had on the hearers. The organ is mentioned in Psalms 150, 4. According to the Hebrew, it was a reed instrument whose sound depended on air. Our modern organs simply provide the source of the sound, or the air in some cases, by electric or electronic means. Of course, most newer organs have sounds that definitely were not heard in David's day and should not be used for the worship of God. For example, modern digital organs can be made to sound like the music in a nightclub. What about the piano? Basically, the piano is a harp that has been laid on its side and the strings give their sounds when struck by a felt hammer instead of being plucked by the fingers. Some believe that King David invented the guitar, but that is not certain.
Either way, the guitar came into existence more than 400 years ago. Therefore, it is not something that the church began to use only recently. The same is true of the violin. Both violins and guitars are stringed instruments, and stringed instruments are mentioned in Psalms 150, 4. Of course, trumpets were used extensively in the Tabernacle of David. One very important issue regarding any musical instrument is the question of who is playing it and how that person is playing it. The most godly instrument we have today can be played in a way that does not please the Lord and therefore does not cause His presence to draw near. Some have told me that if drums are played in the right way, that they are not a problem in the church. We will see a little later that if drums are played in the way that they were designed to be played, they will produce the rhythm of rock music. We will also consider the effect of that music on the hearers. When did churches begin to incorporate drum sets into their praise? I will not provide much documentation for my answer to this question because my own testimony is my documentation. I actually lived through this period in the church's history, and I know from experience what actually happened. As I mentioned, I sang in a gospel quartet, and we visited many churches between the years of the mid-1960s up until 1972. During those years, and during many years afterward, I personally had the opportunity to know a good number of major leaders in the body of Christ. The answer to our question about when drum sets were incorporated into churches requires a little history that began in the mid-1960s. At that time, an amazing movement began in many sectors of the body of Christ. The movement was known as the Charismatic Movement, and it affected almost all of the traditional Christian churches in the world. It emphasized the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, including speaking in tongues. Groups of believers sprang up almost everywhere, and people were coming to Christ in a way not seen for many years. One traditional church that we sang in was pastored by Harold Bredesen, who had also received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Later, he led Pat Boone to the Lord, and he also led Pat Robertson into the baptism in the Spirit. As the movement progressed, musicians from the secular world were also touched by the Lord, and they became members of one of the many groups of believers that later became churches. Many of the leaders of those groups had only recently come to the Lord themselves. Some were only a few months old in the Lord, and those who were more spiritually mature had probably been believers for a year or two. They became leaders because they were articulate and interesting speakers. Sadly, many of them had no spiritual compass, and they had no one to mentor them in the Lord. Many had never even read the entire Bible one time, so they had no idea of how the Lord wanted His church to function. They did not see the danger of allowing the world to bring its influence into the church. One of the frequent mistakes of those leaders was to use accomplished secular musicians in the music ministry of their churches. In at least one case, the musicians were still taking drugs when they were not in the church service, and they were receiving songs while they were under the influence of the drugs. They then taught the songs to the church. 
Some of those songs were put on recordings and became very popular among much of the body of Christ. Some of the new leaders, along with the newly added musicians, came to the conclusion that the more upbeat music of the world would draw people to their church. Upbeat music is more effective if it has a beat or else it is not upbeat, and for the world, the most effective beat is what a drum set produces. Proof of that statement is that it is precisely the beat of all rock music, which is the most popular music in the world today. So in came the drums to the churches. By the mid-1970s, many churches were using drums. This astounded me and many others, because never in history did even one evangelical church ever use drums. By the 1990s, it was hard to find even one church among the charismatic churches that did not use drums. The reason was simple. Leaders had seen that where rock music was used, many churches grew quickly and even became megachurches. Leaders of large churches have actually admitted that rock music is the reason for their success. This was well understood back in the 1990s. In those days, one of the main leaders of a very large Pentecostal denomination taught gatherings of their pastors that there are two keys to build a thriving church in any city of the world. I quote him here. He said that the first key is, find out who is the hottest drummer in the city and hire him. The second key is to find out who is the hottest guitarist in the city and hire him. And get rid of the organ. We don't need funeral music in the church. His counsel did not say that those musicians even needed to be Christians. Most of the pastors of that denomination have followed his counsel and have hired the best drummers and guitarists available. And they also now use rock bands on Sunday morning. It works. People come to be entertained and the church grows like a weed. Some of those hired musicians literally travel from church to church on Sunday mornings to entertain the people in different churches. I have seen this with my own eyes. Imagine how far the church has progressed. Too bad King David did not have drum sets available in his day, nor rock bands to impress and inspire the people. He might have been able to convince even the pagan nations around Israel to join Israel in their music and worship. Then his influence would have grown tremendously. The problem is that if David's music and worship is not God's example for us regarding how heaven's music and worship are, then the Lord has not given us an example to follow in this important area. Who else in the Bible is a greater worshiper than David? If we have no God-given example, then we are free to add and subtract anything that makes us feel good in our attempt to rebuild the tabernacle of David. It is also amazing to consider that no Christian church has ever used drums in the last 2,000 years. Doing so is certainly a modern, contemporary invention. In the next two chapters, I will give examples of what rock music is capable of doing in the lives of those who play it and listen to it.